As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That, that Jesus says, the mission my Father has given me, I am now handing the ball off to you. And today I want to get really, really practical about how we fulfill that mission. And, and I want to build this all around one word. It's the word winsome. And we're going to use that word two ways. First of all, you can simply just see the, the definition of the word winsome in your dictionary. It's charming. It's winning. It's engaging. We don't use this word a lot, but it's a great word to describe many, many of you. There's something about your presence, your persona, your personality that, that just draws people in, that attracts people. I, I love this word winning there. Because I think people that are winsome are people who know that they're winning. And as Christian people, we know the end of the story. We know that we're going to take the victory lap. We know that we have won. And, and, and can you not tell a difference between people who win and people who lose? I mean, I, I could take you outside Jordan-Hare Stadium or Bryant-Denny Stadium on a Saturday in the fall, and, and we would not know anything about the ball game, but we could just ride by the stadium after the game, and you would pick up on who the winners were and who were the losers. All you'd have to do is look on the expressions of their face, and you would know who was the winners. And here's the biblical, the biblical idea. Because of Jesus, we're the winners. And it shows up in our personality, and it draws people, it attracts people. Look at a couple passages with me this morning. First of all, from Titus chapter 2. You know, some, some of us go, well, you know, you don't know my work situation, buddy. It's hard for me to be attractive there. It's hard for me to be engaging and winsome. It's difficult. You don't know what's going on in my family. Listen, we're about to have some slaves here commanded to live an attractive life that would lead their masters to Christ. So be convicted by Titus chapter 2 verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Well, what's he saying there? There ought to be a way that we live out the gospel that attracts people to the gospel. I ask you this morning, is your life attractive to people? Here, here's another passage, I think, that addresses this. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, what's he saying there? When we're around people who are non-believers, we need to be wise. You see, the question here is, is our lives, do our lives communicate something that people go, you know, I'd like to know about that. I've heard people before say some derogatory remarks. If that's what a Christian's like, I don't want anything to do with it. But I've heard just the opposite. My goodness, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, let me in on this. It's all by the way we live. And you notice that Paul here in this passage, he focuses on our speech. Is our speech seasoned with grace? 
Are we harsh? Are we judgmental? Are we negative? Are we critical? You see, what, what people notice about you, first of all, is, is how you look. And sorry, there's not much you can do about that, okay? But the second thing they notice about you is what you say. And Paul says it needs to be full of grace. And it needs to be seasoned with salt. What does it mean to be seasoned with salt? It needs to be tasty. It needs to be interesting. It needs to be full of life. Is that what people experience when they're around us? Let me give you a quick little test here. When my name pops up on someone's text or email, what is their reaction? Think about it just for a second. When they see your name pop up, they go, oh, don't want to talk to this guy. Let me put this off. Man, they just bug me. They get on my last nerve. Is that how we are to people? Or when, they, when, when our name pops up on that text or that email, they think, you know what? I always feel better when I'm around that person. You, you see, we do this in different ways. There's some of you that have the personality to walk into a room and we say they would, you, would, you would take over the room. That's okay. There's others of you, that's not your personality. But what someone might say is, you know, the, the more I get to know her, the more I see something different in her. We're attractive. I like what St. Francis of Assisi said. He said, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. What's he saying? It's that attractive, winsome life. Now, let's use the word in a different way for just a moment. Let's split the word up, and let's make it winsome. And there's a great passage about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 where Paul is explaining his philosophy of ministry to lost people. Listen to what he says. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Did you hear the repetition of the word all? All things, all people, all possible means. Well, what's the idea? I want to win some for Christ. Now, I've studied this verse for a long time, and it, it's, it's the key verse in mission work. It, it says to us, when we go to China, the church is not going to look like it looks in Montgomery, Alabama. When we go to Tanzania, it's going to take a different form. Now, it's not a different gospel. The, the next verse, Paul says, we do this so that the gospel can be preached to more and more people. He says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul's not saying when you go to China, you change the gospel. He said far less that he, we've got the gospel. What I want to do is go to China, and I'm not going to bog them down the way we do church in South Alabama because I want them to get it. This is a key verse not only for mission work, but this was the key verse in the changing of this church. Years ago, when we, the elders said, you know what? What we're doing that looks like Church of Christ in 1950 is not working any longer. And, and, and we don't want to change the gospel, but we will change our styles and our approaches to be able to reach people for the gospel. But again, I think that's all true. I think that verse is good that way. But here's what I think I've missed, is this verse was not sent to missionaries. It was not sent to just a church. This is about an individual. 
This is about the Apostle Paul says, this is what I do in my life. When I'm around the Jewish people, I act in such a way to be attracted to them. When I'm around the Gentile people, I act in such a way to be attracted to them. When I'm with weak people, I act this way, strong. He's not saying, I change the gospel. He's saying, I want to change my approaches to win people. And see, guys, here's where, where, where sometimes I'm stuck. This is just the way I am, and I'm just going to be this way. They can take it or leave it. Paul does not have that attitude. Why? Because he cares about their soul. And he wants to win someone for Christ. And so he goes in that office, and he acts in a certain way that will be attractive to draw them, and he speaks in a way that will relate to them. So this morning, I want us to get really, really practical as we close out this series. And I, in fact, I, I want us to talk about this morning being a fisher of men. A fisher of people is what the newer translations say. And I've got a fishing tackle box up here with me. might look a little bit unnatural if you know me. But I, I've got some things... In, you don't have to laugh. I've got some things in here that I, I want to symbolize some real practical things. If you don't normally take notes, I want to encourage you to take notes. And I'm going to share with you the most practical things I've experienced in my life to help me share my faith with other people. Most of us feel really inadequate when it comes to evangelism. We don't even like that word. Uh, an author named Rebecca, Rebecca Pippert writes in a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. She says this. She said, evangelism is the one thing Christians and non-Christians have in common. What's that? We're both scared of it. We're scared to do it, and they're scared for us to do it to them, okay? So, so let me share with you what I think of number one, or the key. Number one on the top of the list is prayer. When you begin to pray... For God to open doors for the gospel, he will do it. You know, here's the problem, guys, when it comes to this topic. We think I've got to go out and I've got to do it all on my own. No, 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 no. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the power of God. You can't do it on your own. You can't open hearts. You can't open doors. And so you pray. You pray everywhere you go. I used to be much better about this. When I moved here in 1981 to be youth minister, I was single and I was looking for an apartment. And uh, I went, you'll have a hard time believing this, uh, all these apartments, and I went to Eastdale Apartments. They were brand new at the time. You probably can't even visualize that. But they were brand new. No one had ever lived in them. They were more expensive. But I, I always prayed this prayer when I walked in any business in that day. Lord, help me to connect with somebody for you. And I, I walked in there and, and I talked to this lady. We had a great talk. And uh, for some reason, I just feel led to, 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 to rent that apartment. Later, I, I got to know the apartment manager really well. Her name was a lady named Sarah Estes. Some of you remember Sarah. Sarah had fallen away from the Lord. And God allowed me to help bring her back to the Lord. And then about a month later, she said, Buddy, you know, I, I run this apartment complex. I'd like you to start a Bible study for the whole complex. And we started that study. And quite a few people came to the Lord. In fact, one of the coolest things in my life right now is a man I baptized from our apartment complex, Phil Two. His son, Aaron, is in my daughter, Laura, and son-in-law, Charlie's life group in Huntsville. You never know what God's going to do. And, and, and guys, the reason it happens, not because of me, it's because I prayed. And if when you, everywhere you go, you start praying for God to open those doors, I'll say this to you. I've never consistently prayed that prayer in my life where it didn't happen. Now, there are times I didn't pray that prayer and it didn't happen. But if you ever pray that prayer, Lord, lead me to one more soul, he'll do it. Now, here's what I'd like to represent that for you this morning, if this is okay. I'm, I'm going to let this be a, a, just a thermometer. 
You say, what? what's that got to do with prayer? If you want to know where you are evangelistically, here's the deal. Here's how you take your spiritual temperature. Who do you pray for? Are your prayers selfish? Are they all about you and all about what you need? Or are they for somebody else? So if you took your temperature today in your prayers, how would it be? Are you praying for those lost people? Okay, number two is friendship. And for friendship, I've got one of those old friendship bracelets with the best word for a friendship bracelet, buddy. All right? Now, I say friendship because I think this is an incredible tool. Because when I first got convicted about evangelism, what I thought I was supposed to do, I was a freshman at the University of Alabama, and this is what I thought I was supposed to do. I was to walk in that class the first day of class. I was to sit beside that person and go, do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not, you're probably going to hell. Is that a great approach or what? But you know what I did? Because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. I did nothing. (laughs) So I went there and I was all uptight about being evangelistic. So I just sat there and did nothing because here I'm this little freshman and I'm trying to... You know what I finally figured out? Is that was the last thing I needed to say. What I needed to do was go in there and be a friend. What I needed to do is go in there and befriend the person sitting beside me. If we get in a study group together, I become the most cooperative person. If they have a need in their life, I help meet that. Guys, in our culture, people are so negative and so leery about religion and about church in particular that you have to, you've got to first win somebody over by the way that you live before most people are going to listen to you. So here's what you do where you work. You walk in your workplace and you be the best friend. You walk in your neighborhood and you be the most helpful person in the neighborhood. One of the most evangelistic persons I've ever known was a guy we lived next door neighbors when we first moved to Pensacola, Florida. His name was Scott Watson. Scott was a big old boy. He played football at LSU. His wife was wonderful and just godly, godly people. We thought they were sort of boring, but they were really godly people. But let me tell you this. They won everybody. We lived in a cul-de-sac. And there were five families there. And the other four families in the cul-de-sac were all led to the Lord by Scott and Kay Watson. Scott put a basketball goal at the end of the cul-de-sac. And he spent every afternoon out there playing basketball with the men in our cul-de-sac. And he began to befriend people. And now they're, they're, they don't all live in that same cul-de-sac anymore. But they're all Christians because this guy just loved the loss. And he was a great friend. His wife was very helpful. In fact, one of the families that they baptized, their son is now a youth minister in Tennessee. It's just an incredible story because somebody cared. And so here's what I challenge you to do. Don't get all uptight about this like you've got to go tell somebody off. Just walk in a room and be nice and kind and helpful and develop a friendship. Now that's going to lead to the third uh, point, and this may be one of the most practical points. Then you start a most wanted list, all right? And I've got a poster is most wanted. As you meet people, you begin to write down the names of the people that you think you might could lead to Christ. Everywhere you go, you start seeing these people. You start writing down their names. Now, here's what I do. I keep it in my wallet. And so, um, I, I met this um, waiter the other day at a restaurant Told me he had moved to Montgomery for his girlfriend, moved here, and she broke up with him a month later, and he's devastated. And so I've been going back to that restaurant every week. 
because I want to interact with him. And I can tell he's sort of, he's lonely. I, mean, I can go down the list of people on, on my list right now. I, I think I've got a great opportunity to lead my barber to Christ. Uh, there's a, a young man who grew up in this church. He's had all kinds of terrible things happen in his life. He needs to come back to Christ. There's a, young, there's a, a man I, I've met downtown one day when the staff was down there that some of you have met. There's a family that's visited here at church that shared with me that they're not right with God. There's a young married guy that goes to the same gym I go to, and we've gotten in conversation, just had a baby, you know, tried to be at the hospital when the baby, he's actually been here to church. And I, I could go on, you just start keeping this list, guys, because here's what happens is you meet this David guy at the restaurant and then you forget about him, okay? But when you have this, not only are you thinking about him, but this becomes your prayer list. This is how the thermometer changes, because you start praying for those people. You, not, you may not have invited them to church yet. You might not have said a, a word to them about the Lord. But you have been a solid friend. And, and you're getting to know them. And, and here's the truth, because you're, you're not going to be manipulative. I, I told a guy that I've been trying to reach for years that I, I met, at, met at the gym. I met him. He had um, two children, never been married. I was on a treadmill and we started talking. He told me one of his kids he couldn't see because in Alabama, if you're an unwed dad, they can cut you off easily. So here's what I did. I hooked him up with one of our lawyers here at church. I think I can reach Brandon for Christ. But what I, first of all, before I ever say anything about church, I was trying to help him to see his kid because that was on his mind. So you begin to be that person that keeps that list that you're praying over because God can, God can open doors. Now, number four is um, what I call inviting to a party. And um, we're going to use a party horn for this one. Sorry for the musical instruments, but um, we're going we're gonna to use that because this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, when you invite someone to the kingdom of God, it's like inviting them to a banquet. Now, for, in our terminology, it's a party. But if you study first century parties, you'll find out our parties don't compare to theirs. They were weeks, they were days, they were incredible. And guys, so here's what we got to get to, is we got to get, if you're going to invite people, you've got to be inviting them to something that's going to be awesome. And that's why, guys, when we assemble as a church, man... This needs to be a celebration. They need to walk in these doors and they need to feel life. How many of you ever been to church that felt like a funeral? How, how do you invite people to church like that? You know, I, I love you to come to church with me. It's dull as all get out and we're not very happy, but we're not going to hell. And we'd love you to come visit us. <laughs> I mean, you just can't. But I'm telling you, when you get excited about it, now, I love what my, my, my friend, one of my friends says. He says, you come one time. You come to Landmark one time. If you don't like it, you don't ever have to come back. Because I think if you'll come. Carl Hobson, I was remembering just last night when Carl used to stand out in these doors and greet. And he had, it was the fun. Someone would be walking in the door that was new, and Carl would say to them, don't you walk in that door. And they would turn around and go, what? Don't you walk in that? Well, why don't you walk in my door? Don't you walk in that door? Because if you walk in that door, you'll never be the same. And guys, I don't know if you're that excited about this, but I'm telling you, we need to come here anticipating what God can do. We need to get here on time so we can meet people. And we need to have a celebration. And when people come in here and they figure out what we've got, 
is so good that we can't help but express it in whatever way we express it, they're going to be attracted to it, guys. They're not attracted to a funeral. But they are attracted to church that says, you know what, what we've got is good news, and when we come together, we celebrate it. And guys, when you're inviting and you feel that way about your church, I'm telling you, if you don't feel this way about this church, I'd say find a new one. All right, but when you feel that way about your church, then I'm saying you're not going to have a problem inviting. And when they get here and you and I are who we need to be and greeting people and loving people and befriending people, great things happen. Number five. Oh, this is, this is maybe my favorite. And this is what I call net fishing, okay? Let me just get this big old net out. This is the coolest thing about what the Bible teaches about sharing your faith. The Bible teaches that when you go out fishing for people, and Jesus said, I want you to be a fisher of men. Jesus was not talking to people that were used to a Zebco reel and rod. When Jesus said, I want you to be a fisher of men, they didn't visualize I'm going out there by myself on the creek bed to, to reach somebody. No, what they visualize is a group of people around a net all working together to reach someone for Christ. You see, our problem, guys, is we think, I've got to meet them, I've got to say the Bible with them, I've got to befriend them, I've got to have them over for a meal, I've got to disciple them. I've got... No, you don't. No, you don't. That's why God put us in the church. And, and we begin to work together. Now, my favorite story about this is from years ago in this church. Now, I, want, I, want, I want to read this to you if I can find it. It's a story. Where did I put that? It's a story about a young man named Doug Boyer who came to our church. Here we go. Doug Boyer. And this, when, this, this is probably 12, 13 years ago, and I've never seen it happen any more beautiful than this. He walked forward, sat right there, and he said, I want to be baptized. And here's where he wrote the church. Doug was a street person who just showed up at our church one Sunday. Dear Landmark Church, four months ago, I drove into your parking lot early one Sunday morning looking for help, a lot of help. Within minutes, I knew I'd come to the right place. Within an hour, Jim Sanderson had bought me breakfast. And by afternoon, he had found me a place to stay that night. Over the next several days, Mark Loudermilk made sure I had a place to stay. And several ladies brought me food to eat. Jim and Jill took me to buy a pair of shoes, which I really needed. Al Crosby gave me a job and helped me find a, a place to stay on my own. Carla Amos gave me some training from Wednesday nights before class of how to read. Lil Martin gave me hugs for no reason. Candy gave me a Valentine's basket and an Easter basket. Mr. Crosby, Al, and Harvey even helped me get a truck when my van was on its last leg. Bobby Reeves studied the book of Acts with me and we prayed together. I still don't understand why all of you would help someone like me who you didn't even know. God has given me much more than I ever expected when I drove into your parking lot that four months ago. The last few months are really hard for me to believe. I did not believe it just happened that I picked Landmark that Sunday morning. I believe that God brought me here. I believe Jesus wants me to change my life. I'm convinced that Jesus wants me to be baptized. And that's why I'm going to be baptized today. Don't, don't you love that? Who led him to the Lord? I don't know. It was all kinds of people. And that's why I wanted to take the pressure off you. You know, Doug Boyer is one of the great stories. Doug, Doug passed away, had terrible health by the way he lived all his life. Passed away a few years later. One of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen was when Al Crosby, one of the most successful people in our church, financially, stood up to do the funeral for one of the most unsuccessful financial persons. Man, that's the gospel. 
And guys, if, if you'll take the pressure off yourself and we'll start working together, it's the perfect thing for your life group. Who are you trying to lead to Christ? Who are you invite next Sunday? Can I be there with you? Like, guys, let me tell you, if you don't know how to study the Bible with somebody and tell them the gospel, you get them here and you get them to Landmark 101 and they'll hear the gospel. You don't have to do that. And somebody else will invite them in their home and somebody else is going to see this need. And, and together we will work together for something great to happen. Net fishing. Claim that one, all right? What, one more. One more. And, and, and this one I call authenticity. And, and my symbol for this is going to be a response card off this front row. Because here, here's what I found out about people. I used to be so scared. What is a non-believer going to think when they come into Landmark and they hear all of our junk on Sunday? And they hear us confess our sin. And they hear the drug addict or the porn addict or whatever. Or you and I struggling in our marriage. What are they going to think? You know what I found out they think? These people are just like me. But they've got a difference. They've got, a, they've got real problems. And they're, 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 they're honest about it. It's not a fake church. I've been to many of those. It's a real people with real problems. And here's the difference. With a real God and with great people surrounding them. I don't have the last two. I remember a lady coming. We had people confess all kinds of stuff that Sunday. Very uncomfortable in some ways. I called her. It was friend day. She had only come because her daughter knew the Henry's daughter, and they had invited their first grade daughter to come. The mother said, I hadn't been in church in 20 years. She said, I heard all those confessions and what everybody was saying, and I thought the ceiling was going to cave in, and I thought people were going to laugh. And all I saw were people crying, and I heard about all these problems. And then, exact quotation, I thought to myself, I might make it in this church. Brothers and sisters, your realness on this front row not only blesses you and blesses this church, but it blesses that lost person who comes in here and goes, you know what? I can deal with my problems with the help of God in this church. So I hope you'll look at these tools. I hope you'll use them. You see, our, our challenge in this message series is, will this become my mission? We know it was Jesus' mission. And we know Jesus has handed this mission off to us. So I want to ask you, will this become your mission? I started this series off being pretty personal about how convicted I am about this. And how I, I don't have any intentions of being a part of a church where this is not job number one. I'll just tell you that. Because I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. This is, this is going to be my mission. I may drop some other things around here, but I'm going to be on this mission. Because it's what Jesus is on. And I'm not telling these stories to make me look good this morning. Because I could tell you a lot more failure stories than success stories. Okay? But I'm telling you. With all sincerity, this is my mission. And I'd like to know who's going to join me. This cannot just be the first of your message series. We've got to own this mission. 
You've got to start walking in places with a prayer on your lips. You've got to start praying for those people you're trying to reach. You've got to start befriending people that you might not befriend if you weren't on a mission for God. You've got to start praying for them and reaching them, getting in your group and saying, let's do this together. And together, guys, we can see people come to Christ. I see so many of you in this audience that are on this mission, but many of us have lost it, or maybe we've never had it. I want more than anything in my life to be a part of a church on a mission. If ever I've been in a place where I think it's possible, at times it's been happening, it's here at Landmark. But we need to recommit ourselves to that. I'm going to give you three options this morning as we sing our invitation song. There's some of you who you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you need to come back to this baptistry, repenting of your sins and saying, I'm tired of living that way. My life has very little purpose, and I want to join Jesus on this mission. And, and you come up here, and we'll get you back here, and you can be buried with Christ and resurrected with Christ. There's some of the rest of us that, quite frankly, our lives are not winsome. We've got habits. We've got attitudes. We've got actions that push people away from Christ. People see our name pop up, and they're not happy about it. And, and, and I would like to invite you to come to this front row and, and confess whatever issue or baggage or personality trait that's a part of your life that's keeping you from reaching someone for Jesus Christ. I mean, get it out in the open and let's pray about it so that you, you and I can go live this winsome life that people, before we ever say a word, go, I want to know what that person's got. And then there's a third place this morning. And that's the steps of this stage. If you've got somebody you want to reach for Christ and you want to come up here and pray while we sing, or if in your heart you know that, that you have lost that mission and in a, a sign of submission and repentance, you don't need to write a card out, you just want to come up here and surrender your life and pray and ask God, don't pray just about yourself. Let's take the... Let's just let's take the thermometer back out. Get up on these stages, on these steps, and pray for somebody you know to come to Christ. Or pray that God would bring somebody in your life that you could lead to Christ. I'm praying, I'm hoping these, these, these uh, steps are going to be crowded, so you may have to come and go. But you've got three, uh, three opportunities. Let's be buried with Christ. Let's repent of some of our actions that are pushing people away from Christ. Or let's submit ourselves to the mission of God. Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you need to come, come right now while we stand together and sing.